are listening to Loud on the Set with Kyle and James. A level-headed movie critic meets a loudmouth movie cynic. And action! All right, welcome back to the show. My name is Kyle. This is James. And today, James, what are we doing? Manchester by the Sea. Academy Award nominee. Manchester by the Sea. Was it nominated for Best Picture? It was. Because it won Best Actor, right? It did. Best friggin' actor? Best actor. Casey Affleck? Casey Affleck. Oh, my God. Where are we now? <laughs> Casey Affleck. He was a joke like 10 years ago. Uh, I don't know what he was. I don't... Yeah. Riding on the curtails of Ben and the Affleck name. Well, a friend of mine, you know him, Elvin. I you do. Elvin from yes. Ball, right? We were talking about this movie recently, and he said, uh, he won the best actor Oscar and I go yeah he goes man just a few years ago he was like a B-list nobody uh-huh. and now he's in, and then and then Elvin goes yeah that's it the, the Oscar officially means nothing to me anymore <laughs> yeah it is on you know that is so interesting you say that because I was thinking about that too and I was kind of defeated because Moonlight won and I was pretty jazzed about that mm-hmm. and then I thought secretly that it only won because it's such bullshit and they're trying to stay ahead of the curve and people finding out how much more bullshit it is that it was just given to them for no other reason than that people will remember La La Land and Moonlight and they'll remember the Oscars for however long any of that shit stays in anybody's head anymore Mm -hmm. in the internet age we live in now. So they just gave themselves a bump and said, oh yeah, we celebrate diversity and, you know... Understand film and yeah, you know, we give it to Moonlight, of course. Yeah. All right. Well, doesn't mean anything. Manchester by the yeah. Sea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, opening thoughts. Opening How did thoughts. you see Manchester by the Sea? I saw it on a flight recently. Okay. For free. Uh, I remember I actually saw a preview for it. You know, before it came out in the theater, and I thought, oh, I'll, I'll never see that. You know. <laughs> I just thought, yeah, it's not interesting looking. That's funny, because I saw a preview and I went, yeah, I'll probably see that. And, yeah, yeah maybe. I don't know. <laughs> well, that's the difference in our approaches is that... <laughs> just I... off-center from the <laughs> uh, <laughs> spectrum. No strong feelings one way or the other. Uh, I guess that's the difference between Kyle and James is that Kyle defaults to like, yeah, I I'll just assume at some I, point. The assumption is you'll see it. The assumption is I'll never see that until... But then I'm on the flight recently. And I know it's Academy Award winning, and I'm like, and the cultural curiosity, which we've talked about a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, How the hell did this win? So I put it on. I watch it. By the way, Kyle, I watched it um, uh, on the same flight as I watched Doctor Strange. Ew. So I, over two. Oh, yeah. oops! I just gave away how I feel about it. <laughs> Doctor Strange. But I was like, these not great. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so I watched it for the cultural curiosity, and after when it was done, I remember Rachel had talked about it during the Oscar podcast. Yeah, shout out to Rachel. Mm-hmm. A couple months ago, when we did our Oscar podcast, and she, eh, I don't really like it. It was sort of depressing me, and I didn't like the way it ended, and yada yada yada. And she, she said, thought Casey Affleck would win, right? And she talked about the buzz around it. Yeah, yeah. I think she correctly predicted that. Mm-hmm. But she wasn't. If I remember correctly, she wasn't. She wasn't impressed by the movie, and honestly, neither was I. I watched it. I was like, yeah, all right, you know. I feel like it's just a slow idol that never climaxed. It never built up to anything. Mm-hmm. Just sort of stuck in place the whole time. It sure did. Yeah. Since it was about a character that was apparently incapable of change, and thus the film was quite boring. <laughs> 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 As nothing changed. 
I watched it. Um, I don't know. I I can't I can't remember if I rented it or if it was just free on something. But I watched it online at home um, mm-hmm. with the fiance Kira, and we both were watching it, and we were initially interested, and the exact same thing happened. It just petered out into nothing and then we immediately forgot about it and didn't care about it anymore um i had gotten some feedback from a couple people that i knew and my mom said that she liked it but that it was really depressing and uh, she's a social worker Mm -hmm. so she deals with a lot of issues like that um so i can understand probably a a more uh analytical take on what was going on maybe uh, beneath the surface of the film but my overall impressions I just thought that this absolutely summed up uh, a concern that I've had for a while which is that to gain any sort of praise or to make a movie that you uh, expect to have any sort of accolade now you just make it fucking miserably sad you know, mm-hmm. that's what the trend is to everything now is is something without substance that just goes miserably sad because people think, oh, I just felt something. I was really sad. That means it must be good, hmm. you know, and th- and that's exactly what we referenced on Moonlight when we were talking about a movie that faced that had some challenges in it and that had characters that struggled but was ultimately uplifting and was about yes. the the rise of the human spirit and the human condition finding love and passion and self-discovery and this you could argue was about self-discovery of a character and an understanding of oneself as well but horribly depressing for depressing sake without much substance or hope and I think that that's the trend, and it's disappointing because not all stories need to be like that. Interesting, Kyle. Very good analysis. You yes. this, man. Oh yes, we you should have a this. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna piggy. Oh, what, <laughs> what you just said. Um, initially, you are drawn in a little bit to this movie, right? Uh-huh. The, the beginning, you're thinking to yourself, "Well, this is an interesting character." Um, uh, Later on, it's sort of confusing to me the beginning. But when the beginning is happening, you're thinking, "Huh? Am I am I heading down a path of like pseudo dark absurdist comedy, a la The Lobster, mm-hmm. perhaps?" Because he's a little bit playful with some of those tenants, right? A little bit confrontational and abrasive with others. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he kind of has that half smirk on his face while he's talking. Other times he's really hangdog mm-hmm. and sort of defeated. And I was thinking to myself while I was watching the beginning, "All right, like, where's this going? Like, I'm I'm picking up different." potential tones yeah. to the movie, right? But then after that opening, and then especially after he goes to visit his brother in the in the, the hospital morgue, it levels out at, at just at just sad. And it doesn't do any fluctuations beyond that. You know, maybe a little bit of comic relief in the interaction with the nephew and his sort of playing games with the girls and whatnot, but not enough. You right. Know? And so I'm stuck with at the end thinking, you know, the beginning doesn't match any other part. Uh, some of the parts that in retrospect that you thought was going to become like dark absurdist comedy were just sort of like weird and out of place mm-hmm. and weird tone shifts even and so yeah it's just yeah. and it seemed like it was just dark for dark's sake you yeah. know uh, and they they did try and sprinkle in some element of mystery and to keep you going along with a mystery of 
boy, what happened to make this guy so sad, you know? And they yeah, tried they tried yeah. to make that the hook for the film. And then what's he going to do with that information that we don't know yet? So we were growing with him and moving along through the movie as he was trying to wrestle with these demons. We didn't know what they were. So then we get the information at the end and or near the end, and we're supposed to kind of analyze uh, how we think he's doing or what he what he's accomplished with this information or what we can now, knowing what we know happened in his past, expect to see ultimately occur at the end of the film. So then they set up one more layer of mystery to try and lump you try and lure you in and get you to the end of the story um and i just stopped caring at some point which is really sad but once once things start to get revealed there's just really no just you instantly know where it's going and it feels like it's pointless to go and continue on the rest of the journey feels like you could have uh i mean you it feels like you could have front-loaded this information and told it with a clear narrative from start to finish in chronological order and you might have actually been able to glean more because it kind of felt cheap to hold it back and then to present it in the way that it was uh, ultimately presented when there is spoiler alert moving forward basically no resolution to anything and the and the characters are as we said static and uh, don't move on and can't cope and that's it that's the fucking movie. What a piece of shit. I hated this movie. I hated it. This is the one of the only times I've ever watched a movie nominated for a Best Picture and have gone, wow. Nope. No. I, I don't think that the script was, was deep enough or tackled enough different issues to even give it a leg to stand on as a, well, character study analysis, portrait, burr, burr, burr. It just, <laughs> it, it had nothing. Horribly, horribly flawed, I think, deep wow. to the core. I hated it. There, there's a word you said in there that I'm going to hone in on for a second that's cheap. Cheap. I usually say cheap. You do. <laughs> but uh, you, you call this movie cheap, and I think, you're, I think you backed it up well. Mm-hmm. And uh, to second what you were saying, the, the reveal, the ultimate revelation of why is he the way he is and why is this movie set the way it is in the tone you say it, it just took, it, it was too late. You know, like at that point you didn't care. Mm-hmm. And it was cheap to withhold it this whole time because it's a slow build to something that's so disappointing because it's too late, it took too long to get there, and there wasn't really a, a crescendo, a build to it. It was just sort of like you're just waiting and you're just waiting more and you're waiting more and things are kind of remaining the same right. through that waiting period. And then when it's revealed, it's, it's sort of in the same it exists at the same energy level as the rest of the movie, you mm-hmm. know? It, it's And I imagine yeah. the idea was to basically hand the audience something and say, his behavior, which you have probably throughout this whole experience up to this reveal, thought was despicable or was, you know, morose and, and lost and hopeless. Uh, they give you the reveal and then they say... Do you now care about this person or do you still think they're as worthless as they feel themselves? You know, what do you think of their actions? And then here's what this person thinks of them and how they're going to carry on the rest of their life. And want you to kind of use that as your own reflection of 
tackling a big idea, which I guess we can kind of go into a basic plot summary to make some context here for anybody that hasn't seen it. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it (laughs) from this point on. Uh, Basically, a guy is real sad. He's got a shit job, a shit life, and he has a brother who has a kid. His brother dies and wants him to be the guardian of his child. So, the movie progresses. He's sad. He doesn't know if he can do it. He doesn't want to do it. And you learn that in his past, he had his own kids. He was a shitbag. He was getting loaded with his friends all the time and ends up accidentally with neglect, burning down his house and killing his children. Yes. So, movie continues. He comes to the realization he's never going to be able to change. He's an alcoholic lost in his demons and gives up, and that's the end of it. Says he'll try and make himself available for his kid to see him every once in a while to to his child guardian that he is now. And that's the end of the movie. That's it. That's the fucking picture right there. (laughs) Well, here, I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second. Yes. We should try and be objective. Right. you (laughs) you You get to the end. And you say that he comes to the conclusion that it's too much, he's not going to be able to overcome it, and he essentially is just going to continue along with the same attitude and the same lifestyle and the same mentality. That's true. But there are hints, Kyle, there are hints. Hints. Of positivity and building a relationship and strengthening that connection with the nephew Uh because they're all walking down the street together they're bouncing the ball they're still continuing to you know joke around with one another and Uncle Lee Casey Affleck's character is in fact moving into a new apartment and it will have space to host his nephew from time to time where previously he was content in a in a in a single room like not even Uh with no it didn't look like it even had a kitchen or a bathroom or or more than four walls, right? Which he didn't even want furniture for. Yeah, he didn't want furniture. <laughs> so now, all right, he is, he's made those minor changes, and they're, they're like symbolic or they're indicative of, I think I'd be okay with a visitor every once in a while. Uh-huh. Where previously he, he intentionally lived in a total dump in the basement of the building that he, that he was the maintenance guy for. He was uh-huh. the maintenance man for. Um, so there's a hint. There's a hint. There's a a hint. shred. <laughs> so there you go. And if that's, if that's meant to represent the, a realistic telling of somebody that devastated and how they might slightly rebound from that given mm-hmm. enough time, all right, I guess. I'm, again, I'm playing devil's advocate because I don't mm-hmm. even think that's realistic. I think, no, I don't either. I think that and I think it, I think it plays out differently in my opinion. I do too. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the thing about the ending where I kind of I, – I, I didn't – go that route with it uh, mm-hmm. was because he never in my opinion moved past a seeing this person as a casual acquaintance of his didn't seem like he had any sort of attachment beyond a forced friendship with this person and making himself available to every once in a while participate and have a friend that was there some sort of companionship and more and it seemed like a resignation of him to understand 
that maybe this one person's life might be slightly better if he does this and not that he gave a shit about himself at all or anything. So I guess more than anything, it was an understanding that he could maybe do one more thing to make somebody's life better. But if you remember earlier when he was reminded of all of this terror uh, and after, I guess in the flashback when he was going through the process of coping with his children, he immediately just decided that he wanted to kill himself. Mm-hmm. And to, while he was at the police station, took a cop's gun and just wanted to end it all and give up in that moment as well. So I don't know. I guess that's a little growth, right? From wanting to oh wanting to just kill yourself immediately to resignation for some companionship every once in a while. But that's all you get to base an entire feature-length film around, nominated for Best Picture. And I just don't think it was in any way enough to... If you're going to tell this type of story, which I think you can, I think that there has to be a greater scope to it than just his character. You have to observe the at least post, but maybe pre as well, uh, influences that went into getting him to where he was and then his footprint on the world afterwards to give this any sort of watchability for me, for the average viewer, for, for somebody to be able to really dig deep and analyze. And I think anything besides that is just cheap. Like I said, I think this is a story that's very easily anecdotally told like, oh, man, you know what? What if you, uh, you you know, that guy gets drunk a lot, right? What if he had kids and he accidentally killed his kids because he was like drunk one night? What would he do? Oh, he'd be fucking miserable. He'd be so sad. And it seemed like that was the end of the discussion for me, you know, Mm. in the in the pitch room or anywhere. And I... I know there's, of course, probably a, some thought that goes into the minutia of a lot of the scenes and a lot of the uh, a lot of the design of everything, the direction of it. But the point is, I walked away from it not caring, basically from start to finish, about looking into any of that because it was just so miserable. You know, that's a really good point, actually, because. It didn't have relevance. Exactly. You don't get invested enough to look for those for those moments of great camera work or great angles or great color selection. You, uh-huh. you just don't. You're like, because I think you're constantly waiting. This, yeah. this movie could have been called Waiting. <laughs> I felt like I was. I felt like I was waiting for the next powerful scene. Like, all right, at any moment he'll erupt or something. You know, or at any moment he'll truly break down. Uh-huh. But his eruptions were sort of. Difficult to buy or difficult to believe fights and bars. You're like, he's not selling me. I don't believe that this type of, you know. I'll yeah, get to that in a second. totally. And so his his lows that his breakdowns weren't viable, and his I don't know. You see what I'm saying? Like, I absolutely see what you're saying because his character is reclusive, and the interaction that he has with people is forced necessity. You know, going into people's apartments and fixing their shit and having to talk to them basically through the legal system being forced to engage with this kid. And he does not seem like the type of person where after this event with all of these 
people or friends that he used to have, that he'd be going to bars and going out. He'd be tucked away in his windowless room, you know, with his 40,000 pack of Bud, just getting <laughs> smashed and, like, hiding away in in the dark, you know? Well, at the, on a similar point, that's why I, just from purely aesthetic standpoint, I don't buy it. I, I don't think he's the right actor even for the role. Because when I think of, like, uh, mentally disturbed and brooding and someone who's sort of like hunkering down and just absorbing the rest of their life. I, I don't know. I, I, Casey Affleck's like kind of good looking and slightly funny looking. Not, uh-huh. not, not funny, but he looks like he... I don't know. I guess the only context I have is when he played uh, Ben Affleck's brother in Goodwill Hunting. You're like, <laughs> I'm, I'm missing a lot of his roles, I uh-huh. guess. I don't know. I think they could have been a better choice. Like, he's like too good looking and too young and, and too almost charismatic to be stuck in a role that's meant for brooding uh shelled up angst uh-huh. you know it doesn't it didn't play well you know yeah and even like even this even the hints that he was supposed to be a violent lashing out character from time to time uh-huh. I, I didn't buy that either like he's not menacing looking at the bar like when he went up to sue's guys oh here's a good talking point uh-huh. hey let's have some fun hey, here. let's do it um speaking earlier i mentioned how i wasn't sure where the tone was going in the movie right, right? And when he's at the bar and he's staring at those two guys across from him, right? Uh-huh. And they catch eyes with him every once in a while and they whisper to each other and they look and he's still looking at each other. Uh-huh. Oh, boy. At that point in the movie, because of the way he had interacted with the, the tenants and because of the way he was, I was like, all right, he could be gay, you know? Uh-huh. He might go over to them and, and ask for their company. Yeah. But instead he goes over there and sort of does like a, a wise-ass comment, right? And then uh-huh. and then won't let it go. And next thing you know, he's swinging. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that doesn't fit your character. Uh-huh. Like, and later I get to another fight, and I'm like, that's still not really believable with you, you know? Yes. Or whatever. There's did you think that at all? Like, I didn't know. That could have went any direction I in totally the ball. did. I thought that he was, and, and I mean, maybe this is what they were going for, but I thought he was going to go over and say something weird and just engage with them and that they were going to think that he was weird and he was going to do that thing where he was awkwardly present and they were just going to kind of be creeped out by him and that he was just going to be there. And that was right, going to so be it. And they were go. like... There's the guy. The, there's that weird guy. He comes in. He will say something weird and funny, and then he just disappears. Like, what's up with the weird guy? You know, like <laughs> I saw way more as that, and and that goes into my analysis as well because I do think there's parts in the movie where his acting skills are definitely on point, and they set him up for it. I mean, you can't get handed this script and turn in a performance that's underwhelming you know yeah. they've given you the uh, off the chair they've given you the 11 on the spinal tap <laughs> <laughs> the spinal tap amplifier you have the 11 to go with and you're going to go with it so there's moments where especially when he's in the police station and when he's analyzing he gets some self discovery where he he hits some good tones but there's no other point in the film, even in the lead-up or anything, where any of his acting models any sort of aggressive behavior. And this just seemed completely out of place. And we know that he's basically drunk 24-7, so this should be no different. He's in these situations before with the tenants and stuff. He doesn't give a shit. You know, he lets them abuse him, and he just says, fucking sorry, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I can do. And it just, it, there's no reason why that would be happening. So, again, cheap. They're like, oh, what else would be sad? Oh, he just. They get in fights. He right? just lashes out and hits people, yeah. and then he, you know, he's thrown in jail for the night, and people feel bad for him, you know? Yeah, cheap. The most interesting part of the film to me was the, the town's 
reflections of him. The murmurs and the rumors and the information that has permeated through the town and watching the people when they had little scenes with each other uh, see or hear about him and their responses to even his presence back in the town. You know, he's going back to this, yeah. the place where the, all the shit went down. Mm-hmm. And to, and their interactions and understanding, I think, were could have been what more of the movie was about to make it relevant to people because not everybody is him. Not everybody's even close to him in terms of the problems that they have. But most people are those townspeople. Most people, especially, I'll say, from a small town myself, that mentality and um, and even when you're in a city, you know, if people are well-known or there's a well-known, you know, news story or something that's happening, that anecdotal view from the the peanut gallery was more interesting to me than his character because we already knew what he was and where he was and it could have been summed up very quickly but again this was an acting vehicle and they were trying to do this character analysis but i think a much more rich uh, story could have been told by looking at our views of people like that and forcing us to analyze again how we feel about uh, those experiences, how we would feel if we were in his shoes, and and to make that more relevant for to the story. Tyler, I think that's an excellent point. Your analysis is on point, and I'm going to suggest that even having a secondary character not being the nephew, mm-hmm. we'll talk about him in a second. But you're, what you're saying, what you're pitching right now, is a Kyle cut <laughs> uh, of looking at this of of hey, maybe a movie from the perspective, at least at times from the vast majority of the people who aren't him, right? Whose lives were not really touched, but familiar with the situation. And they weigh in on it, uh-huh. and they reveal their own um, biases or emotional states and whatnot. Okay, um, you can also accomplish that by just having another strong secondary character along for the ride. Totally. Not the nephew who's being dragged along, and he's kind of a he's weak. I, he got so annoying to me, that kid. Uh-huh. Fucking kid. Um, <laughs> no, for real. No, uh, we'll he was annoying. <laughs> uh, but again, like, have some character be the connection between him and the town, or between him and the event. Maybe Michelle Williams was supposed to be that, but she was she was there also just like dropped in scenes to be like, okay, be your powerful actress self. You know, like, right. you're, the, you're the actress of the moment. You mm-hmm. know, like you know, it's like her and Emma Stone all over the fucking place nowadays, right? <laughs> um, so she played. She had like bit part. Mm-hmm. No, no, absolutely. She wasn't that bridge. Right. She wasn't that secondary perspective mm-hmm. that you're pitching. I think that would be great. Right. Because then you could have gotten away from Casey Affleck's character for a little while. In fact, that's brilliant. I'm going to follow that line of thinking right now. Yeah. If we would have just given uh, the occasional break from him, mm-hmm. the movie could have been better. Right? Oh, yeah, totally. But we never take a break from him. Mm-hmm. Never. There's never. N- never. I don't think there's a single scene that he's not... Yeah, oh probably my God. not. Yeah. Other than like the, the minute or so when, when the nephew's trying to get with girls and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But the understanding is that he's waiting. Right. Or he's actually in the car or in the living room mm-hmm. or what have you. Man, if only we could have had a break from this guy every once mm-hmm. in a while. Devil's Advocate, the feeling that you're trying to play up right now. What is it? Maybe that's exactly what we're supposed to feel in that if you're that person, you don't ever get a break from yourself. No escape. And you have to be there. But does that make for a compelling narrative? No. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't compelled. All right, great point. Great Kyle cut. Hey, a James cut. Yes. I threw a James cut. I like it. I tweaked the Kyle cut. Very good. I made a James cut. You did it. Let's talk about the nephew. Yes. Fucking hell. 
the one thing I want to say about this nephew, and this I find to be a huge weakness to the movie, uh-huh. is that little bastard never once <laughs> had shown a little bit of compassion and understanding. Uh-huh. I understand he's supposed to be he's kind of like a foil. He's supposed to sure. represent the, the aggravation of somebody having to deal with Casey Affleck's character being forced to interact with him and whatnot. But holy cow, right from the get-go, he's selfish, you know? Uh-huh. He's so goddamn self-centered. I, I just wrote in my notes right here. Have a little understanding for Christ's sakes. And they didn't... He should have went through a moment... He should have went through at least a week of like, yeah, it's all right, Uncle Lee. Yeah, I'll hang out. Right. But, oh my God, almost right away, he's like, hey, can you just drive me around and take me place to place, place to place? I would never have the balls to act like that with any of my uncles at that age. Ever. And, and the comedy that they tried to force into that situation, taking him places, trying to get him time with his girlfriend and stuff. They tried to force some comedy in there. And I think we are, with the depiction of this story, well past the point of adding any sort of comic relief into this scenario. (laughs) Maybe some irony, but definitely not the comic relief that they were trying to put in because I was absolutely if i wasn't taken out of the movie before that point i was 100 percent taken out of the movie when that started happening when he's ferrying him around and playing dad because they set the dad character up completely differently and i mean it's a product of how he was raised and who he is and what he's going through at the time but it didn't seem like that child was real like in that town yes, and Kyle, in yes. that family it just didn't feel like he was a real thing i'm gonna i'm gonna second everything you just said beautiful point because what you're led to believe is that they're in a sort of blue collar situation manchester by the sea of mm-hmm. uh, legacy families of fishermen and tough times and mm-hmm. working on their boats and their boats are their livelihood and yada yada and yet he's such a self-aware selfish uh, what does, did they mention the sport that he plays? Whatever, can't remember. It doesn't matter. He doesn't come across as anything like that. And here's the other point I'm going to add to what uh-huh. you just said because I really appreciate that. Is people from that background, and you're looking at one of them right here, not, <laughs> maybe not fishing, but for Christ's sakes, family comes first. And this kid put everything before his uncle. You find out that your uncle, that well, first of all, your dad died. Uh-huh. And this kid was on, like, fucking cruise control, you yeah, know? Yeah, he didn't give a shit. Still hanging out with girls and hanging out with the boys the very next day. And even the... It didn't ever seem to be treated the way it should be with, a, like, a small, tight-knit, blue-collar, northeast family. And they gave him, like, a breakdown, right? They gave him, like, a moment where he had, like, oh, yeah. a breakdown. And they were like, okay, we got the breakdown out of the way. Now we can go back but to doing whatever we want. It was not a very satisfying payoff. Not even he, close. He'd already been such a little punk bastard mm-hmm. for so much in the movie, and it is so slow and plodding along. Not real. God damn it! If you're from, if if if, yeah, listeners, correct me if I'm wrong, but your uncle's in a tough place like that. He's been in a tough place for multiple years now, and you used to hang out with him. God damn it! You show some respect. You respect your uncle. You mourn your dad. Uh-huh. All right, let's start with that. Fuck, we got to back up. <laughs> mourn your dad appropriately, for Christ's sakes. Then take care of your uncle. You take care of each other. You're all you have left. This kid did not think like that. No, he not at all. He did not think like that. He's a, he was out of time, this kid. He was completely from a different world, like you said. Uh-huh. So, so frustrating. I want to choke that motherfucker. <laughs> no, serious. What a little, what a little punk. You know? Okay, what did you... I'm curious. What did you think of the scene when he, he had a verbal confrontation with his wife towards the end uh, when they met kind of out in the street basically and talked to his wife for a moment how did you feel about that scene I can appreciate the acting going on I can appreciate the writing and I can appreciate the 
the intent. Mm-hmm. But like you said earlier, it was too little too late at that point. Right. You, you stopped being really invested. Her character was... I don't know. The way she was used at times was really awkward to me. Like, yeah, just I was dropped like, in moments and it, mostly in flashbacks mm-hmm. and then pulled right out and you're like, oh, oh okay. Right. Mm-hmm. I was I like, oh, the mom is not a part of this story anymore and her feelings or or relevancy just stopped when he decided to be on his own. You know, and that was just a part of the story yeah. that they could leave behind and then they would expect you to find such a... Such emotional weight. Emotional weight, mm-hmm. absolutely, in this situation when you have very little context to anything that's in her life besides the brief glimpses you get of her experience in his past. Yeah, and that's and, it. And even those brief glimpses are slightly confusing in tone because in some of them they're slightly playful, but she's kind of bedriddenly sick. Uh-huh. So you're thinking, okay, is... is is uh, some illness that she has going to play into this tragedy somehow and that doesn't turn out to be the case at all so that emphasis on her being laid up sick while he comes home from work is weird uh-huh. that he's like energetic dad in that moment and she's kind of looking like she's sad mom uh-huh. uh, she clearly is disgruntled with his behavior around his friends so you never get the hint that they had this beautiful loving relationship that crumbled they had something that stopped being something uh-huh. There was no fall from grace, really. No. Maybe him. Maybe his role as a dad, because he's shown as being playful with the kids and all that stuff. And I don't expect things to be so cut and dry. I don't expect them to be so transparent. Like wonderful dad, right. depressed solo. Yeah. You know, like. But again, like, but but then what? If not that, then what? Just. Eh? <laughs> so yeah, it's like at the end she starts spilling her guts, and you're like, well, I don't uh-huh. know. You know, what, what, what do I do with this scene? You uh-huh. know. And as we talk about this, again, I'm reminded and reflecting that I think the director's intent, I think the story's intent is to force you to live as much in his experience as possible. But I don't think that we can fully take away what we need to from that scene without being informed of his thoughts about his wife and relationship in her absence and we're never going to be able to get that information in a film unless we are shown her thoughts or her story or he says anything about it because he was very A1 on point at standing there silently, moodily, but we don't get what's going on in his brain and no amount of acting can portray somebody's deep feelings about somebody who was an integral part of their life and their experience in misery now with brooding looks and silence. Yeah, see, that, wouldn't that be a great opportunity for that secondary character or those 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 other those bridge characters we could call mm-hmm. them in the Kyle and James cut to have scenes where th- th- where you're carried through that storytelling a little bit more, mm-hmm. or you're given a little bit more emotion and insight into their mentalities at times. But absolutely. Dang. All right, give me something else. Oh, got well, anything else? I got one more thing, and that one is more thing. discussing it, it, in the movie as a whole. As soon as the movie wrapped, we talked about this just recently in one of our reviews. We talk about a lot in this podcast is the rewatchability factor. Zero. Zero. I'll, ne- I'll never watch this movie again. Done. That's because it. the only the only reason I think I think that anybody would <laughs> <laughs> that would rewatch this movie is if you're a huge Casey Affleck fan and you found this performance to be so mind blowingly great that you wanted to study it at that level that we talked about earlier. 
that yes. like that micro analysis, like oh, really break down each scene. Look look at the gesture there. Look at the, this day. Look at that. But the interest isn't there to do that. Uh-huh. So rewatch it. No, right. Never. This felt oh. <laughs> to me absolutely. This felt to me like a uh, the perfect example of something that's probably would have been a really juicy novel that people would analyze and look to in the future to reflect on a time capsule of some form of American life. You know, just like you were ex- exactly like we were just trying. Manchester by the Sea. That's the title of the film. So what does that mean? It's a snapshot of life and an experience and giving you a compelling story, challenging themes, uh, really difficult characters and struggles to tackle. And the thing that you get in novels is that internal monologue constantly breaking down and assessing everything. And there are so many novels that you would never be able to put on screen because of that exact point. And this is the big failure right here. It is without internal monologue. It, it has no substance besides if you got the outsider's description of something that played out. It's like a news report. It's like if you read a, a, a news report from tip to stern and you got a little extra content every once in a while where there was like a hidden camera in somebody's house or something, you know? That was the summation of the parts of this film. And that's how I felt throughout. I was like, boy, what a failure of a missed opportunity to present this possibly compelling tale into the right medium, and I don't feel like this was it. Was it good for them to put somebody in a starring role and bank on popularity and market it and get money and, you know, Oscar bait because of how depressingly horrifically sad it was absolutely but that's the end of it well Kyle you just made a great point and I'm going to second it and that is as a novel this could have had those inner monologues you're talking about you can spend entire chapters on just what someone's thinking you know sitting in a chair thinking to oneself could be an entire chapter in a book right but that can't be a, you can only do that so many times in a movie uh-huh. and that's why this wears thin yes because it happens all the time uh, how can you compensate for that lack of that you can't do an inner monologue for 35 pages on film. You can't do it. How do you normally compensate for that in movies? Well, you have interactions between characters. Uh-huh. And we talked about it. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it for like the third time this podcast. <laughs> there are no other characters that provide that. Right. In the absence of an inner monologue, and you're not going to have narration over the whole goddamn movie. Uh-huh. But in the absence of an inner monologue, you should have other characters who can draw out those thoughts or talk about the person when they're not around Uh filling you in on what's going on in that noodle of theirs right Uh but that doesn't happen no the 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 tertiary or the secondary characters are all very weak and they're not used to do that Uh god it's frustrating you know it's really it's now that the more i think about it and so what did they try to bank this movie on we talked about they tried to bank it on sadness (laughs) slash devastation and affleck with Michelle Williams peppered in uh-huh. and a title hinting at like Northeast storytelling, right? Yep. The, the, the locale, if you're going to title your movie, and this is how it's cheap too, uh-huh. by the way. I'm doubling down. Oh, on yeah, cheap. double down. Here's how, the movie, <laughs> here's how the movie is even cheaper. It's cheaper the more we analyze it. The title, the location, the city or the town or whatever it is, Manchester, I'm assuming it's Massachusetts, 
In fact, it is. Um, doesn't play a role. It's not like the you know some movies the location like is is a character. Oh yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's Manchester as we say in Spanish, por gusto, for the hell of it, <laughs> right? <laughs> By the sea, for the hell of it. It's it's not like the boat or fishing. It was symbolic of anything. Mm-hmm. It it wasn't. You know, it wasn't. So having it, that title is just trying to play upon that whole like. Ah, oh, a lot of people are really into like when we when we tell angsty stories about northeasterners. More often than not, like the Boston area than New York, which pisses me off. Like no, and <laughs> I guess New York is we we it has been done to death. But whatever, you know, like. Mm-hmm. And so you rely on that phrasing, that phrase, Manchester by the Sea. They'd be like, ah, a bunch of northeast people who think they can identify with, you know, like white male angst. You see what I'm saying? I absolutely totally see what you're saying. Completely cheap. I'm done. <laughs> I hated this movie. I give it a grade though. Who I usually go first, don't I? Yeah. Yeah. You want me to go first? You go first. Ah, uh, D plus. Why? Because it's I don't like it. Uh, but there's it's not a total failure. Like there's there's you know there's some redeeming stuff. Um, hence the plus. <laughs> hence the plus. But the problem is again D D plus. The plus is kind of like the okay, a couple of things are right. Consolation plus, <laughs> but definitely a D because I will never watch this movie again, and mm-hmm. I would never recommend it to anybody. Mm-hmm. I don't know any massive Casey Affleck fans who are looking to break down his latest performance. I just don't. Yeah, D minus. Oh, because it exists and is complete. I guess that's kind of all I can say about it. Is it's. It's a perfect example of an exercise in filmmaking that is successful. I mean, it's successful. It's at the Academy Awards. Lots of people sing it praises. I don't understand why. I completely disagree from a directoral standpoint. The cinematography is what keeps it from being an F, in my opinion. (laughs) Because I think that the cinematography... And all the pieces that you can put together to make a movie and make it be a cohesive, watchable picture, moving picture, you know, we're there. But horrible choices in the story, in the how, how the story was told, story substance, characters, everything. It has no place. It has no relevance. It has no, it has no purpose. No message. No message. That's it. I, like that's that's a brilliant point you just made. No purpose, no relevance, no message. Compare that to Moonlight. Mm-hmm. A. <laughs> <laughs> oh that my god, yeah. Did Moonlight get the A plus? It got the it A plus, did. Kyle. It yeah. got the A plus. It got the A plus. Our belated Black History Month celebration. Yes. Movie. It deserved the A plus. Yeah. Fuck Manchester by the sea. <laughs> Yeah, just compare those two for a second. Like, like you said earlier in the podcast, Fuck. Moonlight when you end is a celebration. We don't need more of this shit. <laughs> we don't need it. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, all right, take us home, Kyle. <laughs> With that, we're out of time. You know what? No, we're not out of time, but we're ending it here. Yeah. Because I won't give it any more time. <laughs> D minus. That's what you get. Minus three minutes. <laughs> Loud on the set with Kyle and James. You can check us out 
YouTube and iTunes, anywhere you find podcasts, we're there. Let us know what you think. Boy, I can't wait for this one. Rachel? If we sh- if we even remotely hinted at some shit on Arrival, <laughs> a lot of people like this, so this will be fun. Yeah. yeah. Send us some mail, loudonthesetat at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought of Manchester by the Sea if you saw it. I'd be really curious. Try and change my mind. Go ahead. Fucking try. I dare you. (laughs) Uh, If you haven't seen it, I don't know what to tell you. I don't give a shit about it. (laughs) See it or don't see it, whatever. That's it. See you later. (laughs) And cut.